So oftentimes at Christmas, it's just really all about family. It's all about friends. It's all about getting together with loved ones. Thank you, Caesar. It's all about getting together with loved ones. It's all about uh, uh, going through life together. And, and so many times in our lives, especially around Christmas, we experience different things. Uh, one of the things that we experience is we experience unexpected changes. If you haven't experienced an unexpected change at Christmas time, uh, you know, tell me the recipe because it seems like every Christmas something comes up that you're not aware of. Matter of fact, uh, I've gotten pretty good at the unexpected. I drive a, a lot and, and a lot of times uh, Pastor Matthew's with me. We'll be going from, from here to there. And, and, and I have this, this thing that happens to me. It's very strange. I have an uncommon amount of, of people that honk the horn at me. It's hard to explain. Sometimes it'll happen like at a, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a traffic light when it's green and you don't like go immediately. The people behind you, and they just start honking at you and I'm just like, where's the fire, you know? Because they're just so excited about it. Or if you like accidentally begin to veer into another lane. I'm not talking about like close. I'm talking about just a little bit. And honk, honk. I'm like, okay, you know, I get it. Whatever. It's a big road. You know, let's share it. But I, I get all these people that, 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 that they honk their horn at me. So much so that, that I've begun to get the interpretation of horn honking. And when you're at a stoplight or a stop sign and somebody behind you honks the horn and it sounds like this, honk, honk, that's like, hey, you're probably not paying attention, but the light's green, go ahead when you're ready. And that's when you give them the wave. You're like, oh, thank you. Yes, you know, I was, I was checking my radio. I was doing whatever. Thank you. That's nice. And then there's a different kind of horn honk that you can get. And, and, and it's like, you know, you're at the same light and the light turns green and maybe you didn't see it immediately. And it's like, honk. That one means this. Are you so stupid that you can't see the green light? Get out of my way. And it's harder to give the friendly wave when they do that. I've even picked up some other things like if a dog's in front of you, you can even use horn honking for yourself. If a dog's in the road, you can kind of honk at it like toot, toot, get out of the way, little buddy, toot, toot. And sometimes the dog, you know, if it's, if it's like a, a house dog, it has no idea. You know, it's like, oh. If it's like a, a, you know, a city dog, you know, that's wise to the street, it hears that horn honk and it's just like this. It backs up and it's like, roar, 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 come on through. So horn honking can be, it can help you. And we all need to learn these different dialects of life if we're going to live. Now, the other thing that can happen is if a cat walks in the road, you can sit there and do the same thing, except instead of honking the horn, you go, Whoom. There's a movie called All Dogs Go to Heaven. There's never been a movie that says cats go there. <laughs> Maybe they do. I don't know. 
But at Christmas time, it can just be unexpected. Things can change. All of your life, it seems like it just this the season of the holidays can just get intense. And 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 if you look at Mary, uh, when Mary was told that she was going to have a baby, if you think about it, she was a teenager that was about to get married, and then all of a sudden, her plans were just changed in the twinkling of an eye in a moment. If you think about uh, uh, Joseph, he was about to get married to Mary and he was all fired up about it. And then all of a sudden his plans just are immediately changed and he has to believe uh, his fiance when his fiance says, guess what? I'm pregnant with God's baby. I don't, that would be difficult for me. I don't know. I don't know. Thank God he had a dream and the Lord spoke to him. But this season, it could just be unexpected. And when we think about our plans, I think it's imperative to recognize that we don't necessarily have all of the plans, but we serve the one who does. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11 says this in the King James. Matter of fact, let's all read it together. One, two, three, go. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now that's powerful. And, and nobody likes King James Version of the Bible more than me. I actually dream in King James. When I'm having a dream, I hear in the King James. But I want to read it in a different translation. It's called the New English Translation. It says, I know what I have planned for you. God knows what he has planned for you. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. I have plans that are good for you. I have plans that involve some good things happening to you. I have plans not to harm you. I have plans not to hurt you, not to cause something. I don't have plans to put a sickness on you. I don't have plans to put a problem. I don't have plans for your children to go and sow their wild oats and then go, go live for God. I don't have those plans for you. I have plans that are good that will not bring you harm, the Bible says. I have plans to give you a future, and this is my favorite part, filled with hope. Hope is so powerful. Hope can keep you holding on. If you read about people who have been shipwrecked and they have to live in a lifeboat, or if you read about people who have been held down uh, in enemy territory in a war, they always talk about what kept them alive was the hope of seeing that loved one again, the hope of being able to be reunited with their friends and family, the hope that they would be able to tell their story, the hope that they would live. God says, I have a plan for you. My plan for you is for good. It's to prosper you. It's not to harm you. And my plan is that your life would be filled with hope. Your life and mine as we go through, we see God's plan coming to fruition. I remember when I was about 19 years old. It's really about the time when I went whole heart for God. It's when I gave all of my life over to him. And I wasn't not living for him before, but something happened to me. Something changed me. And in that season, in that moment, uh, the Lord spoke to me and he showed me my wife in a vision. In my mind's eye, so to speak, I saw a picture of Crystal. I saw a picture of my wife. So I started looking for her. I was like, man, this girl is so fine. I cannot wait until I see her. She's still fine today. 
I was so excited. I was looking for her. I was looking for my wife. And I would, I would, I would think, man, she's going to be at this church service. She's going to be at that church service. And, and can I just say, it's not a bad idea to find your spouse in church. You know, I know a lot of times, and it seems to happen with ladies more than guys, uh, no offense, but you get this idea that you're going to clean him up and then he's going to be all that God has called him to be. No, just let him be all God's called him to be, then marry him, you know? It makes better sense that way. But so many times in life, we, we go through life and we're trying to figure out our plans. And God's got this big master plan that's just kind of working and weaving through our life and functioning for our good, uh, not to harm us, but to prosper us, to give us hope. So I had this hope that I was going to meet this girl, that I saw her picture. I, I verbally uh, prophesied where she lived. I knew where she lived, not like the address or bless God, I would have knocked on the door. But I knew the town that she lived in. And then one day, it was in December, I believe, if I remember right, it might have been November, I went down to visit my uncle, and it wasn't uncommon for me to do. I would go visit him several times a month at that time of my life, and I went down to visit him, and I walked in, and one of the first rooms in his house, if you come in a certain door, is the kitchen. And and I walked into the kitchen, and I heard angels singing, and I look over, and there's this radiant glow that's beaming around this 18, 19-year-old young lady who's sitting on the counter at my, in my uncle's kitchen just like you would picture an 18 or 19-year-old girl sitting just with her legs swinging and laughing and everybody's having a good time. And I walk in and in the words of the famous Bambi movie, I was Twitter-pated. I walked in thinking, oh yeah, I can't wait, I'm going to go in there. And then all of a sudden I look over and there's Crystal and I was just like, ugh. I lost all ability to speak. I lost all ability to move. And I'm thinking she's probably staring at me. And when I could finally look and I looked at her, she wasn't giving me any attention. So I did what most 18, 19 year old young men from my neck of the woods do. I started strutting like a banny rooster. I said, well, I'm going to get her to pay attention to me. And I'm walking over, and I'm like, I'm going to get me some Coke, you know. And I'm, I'm getting me some Coke, and I'm making some noise, trying to make sure she sees me get that Coke. And she's not paying. She hadn't even stopped swinging her little legs yet. And I'm sitting there, I'm going, woman, are you not going to look at me? What's going on here? Finally, I get my Coke. She still hasn't looked at me. I walked over, and I said, hey, I'm Brian. And she said, I know who you are. And immediately I went, oh no. (laughs) Because if she knows who I am, she might know more about me than I want her to know about me. So I was like, so what's your name? She said, well, my name's Crystal. I said, huh. Will you marry me? No, I didn't say that. But I'm sitting here. Here's what's happening on the inside of me. I'm looking at the girl that God showed me a picture, just like a Polaroid picture in my, in my mind. I, I, I'm sitting there looking at the girl that God told me that I could marry. And, and I'm telling you, I was like, I was like, uncle, my uncle's a preacher. I'm like, brother, we could get married right now, right here. And just get the Bible, uncle. But I'm playing it cool. And I'm like, oh, so yeah. So I'm Brian and stuff, you know. And there was a bunch of people there, a bunch of people our age. And, and he's got a game room with like a ping pong table and a pool table upstairs. So we all kind of migrated upstairs because we figured there was some food up there because that's what teenagers do. They just eat everything you have, everything. 
We went upstairs, and 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 I'm playing ping pong, and and I I, I don't want to brag, <laughs> but I was beating everybody <laughs> soundly. And I'm over there, and and while I'm beating everybody soundly. I'm looking over at Crystal to see if she is recognizing the dominance of the game of ping pong that I am exuding. (laughs) And she's not paying any attention. It gets to the point where I'm having to make noises like tennis players on TV when I hit the ball just to try to get her to look at me. So they would hit the ball and I'd be like, ugh. We're talking ping pong. The ball's this big. The table's that long. I am wringing sweat. And I get done playing after I beat everybody in the house soundly. And I go over to where she is. Because I'm like, she is going to be so impressed with my ping pong prowess. She's probably going to ask me out. So I walked over there. I'm like, hey. She's like, yes. Baby, this is my story. (laughs) Don't give her a mic, everybody. Just believe me. She wasn't rude to me, I'm sure. But she she did not say what I was hoping for, which was I wanted to walk over. I had already played it out in my mind. I wanted to walk over and say, hey, or hi, or something. And I wanted her to go, you are the best ping pong player I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) She didn't say that. So when I talked to her, I said, did you see me playing ping pong? She said, no. (laughs) I'm sweating like, like profusely. I said, really? She said, no. So, so it began so to speak. I began seeking her out. I called one of my aunts that might have her phone or might have her address. And I said, can I get her address? 605 North Tarpey, Texas City, Texas. And I began to write her notes and letters, cards. And they would go like this. Dear Crystal, it's the ping pong king. Not really. Hey, just wanted to see how you're doing. I'm going to come back down there this weekend or anytime you'd like me to. <laughs> I'm going to take you on a date. Little Caesars has $5 hot and ready's. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I just thought I was going to visit my uncle and all of a sudden, in a moment, all of a sudden in an instant, God's plan for good because Crystal's the best thing this side of Jesus that has ever happened to me. All the good that God had planned for me began to come to pass. I thought I was just coming to visit my uncle, to see my aunt, to hang out 
with my cousins, but God's plan was for good. It was to prosper me. There, I, I, I love being married. I, I love dating Crystal. I loved everything about, I still love everything about our relationship. We'll be married 12 years next Sunday. It's a powerful time in my life. And I'm experiencing it, and all I can think of is God's plan is so good. I thought I was just coming. I thought I was just driving to Texas City. I thought I was just going to see my uncle. And here he had the girl of my dreams sitting on the counter, swinging her legs, waiting for me to strut like a rooster. When I walked in, she actually fainted. I just tell the truth now that we're. Maybe that didn't happen. But God's plans for us are for good. They're they're not for evil. They're not for a problem. And sometimes when we're going through life and we're experiencing God's plan, it's like we, we, we don't see the end of it, so we begin to question where we are in the equation. Whether or not God's in this thing, whether or not God's not in this thing. And sometimes you decide to develop your own plan. You decide to develop a plan because somehow in our mind's thought, we begin to think God must be too slow to pick up on this thing. I'm going to need to help him out. I'll develop my own plan. I'll develop my own process. I remember another time, I was 11 years old, and me and my older brother and my whole family, we had gone to Rio Dosa, New Mexico to go snow skiing. It's a beautiful place. Uh, we, we had a, a member of our church that, that had this beautiful apple orchard and we would go and stay at this apple orchard and then we would go snow skiing and it was just a beautiful winter wonderland and so my family would go there uh, in the winter time to check on the property and then to go skiing. And there was a particular day when we went to this park area that was by this big lake and we were going to build a fire and we were just going to do all the things that you do in cold weather and we were going to have a great time doing it and there was a sign as we were driving in that said horseback riding. And I remember me and my older brother, uh, we, we rode horses a lot growing up. It was, you know, we, we, it was part of our culture, I guess. You know, we were, we were a little bit country and kind of cowboyish, I guess. And we would ride horses all the time. My brother was a horse show guy and it was just a, it was a, it was a, it was a lot of fun. But we're, we're walking, uh, or we're driving down this road to get to this park and their sign says horse, horse rental or horseback riding or whatever, you know, one mile ahead. And we per- turned in. So as soon as we saw that sign, my older brother, who was 14, and me who was 11 all we wanted to do was ride horses so we started telling mom and dad mom and dad you know can we ride horses they're like you have a horse what do you want to ride a horse for well we've never ridden a horse in the mountain and so pretty and it'd just be incredible and well we don't know how much it costs we have money we have money we can we have our own money can we ride horses can we ride horses and we're just, you know, just, just, just constantly asking. And I don't know about you. Did any of your kids ever ask you the same question over and over? So we were pretty persistent. So mom and dad developed a strategy. They developed a plan to get us to stop asking this question. They said, I tell you what, it's a mile down the road. If you two want to walk down there and ask them if you can rent a horse, if they'll rent you a horse, y'all can ride horses in the mountains. Because my parents were thinking, there's no way they're going to rent to an 11-year-old and a 14-year-old two horses on the side of a mountain to some kids that walk up smelling like tourists. 
They're going to have to sign a waiver, the parental guardian thing, whatever. There's no way. They're going to, so that's their plan of attack to get us to stop. It's to make us walk one mile in the pouring snow. Thanks, Mom and Dad. But that's their strategy. It's what they're going to do to try to get us to stop asking this question. So me and my brother are like, oh yeah, you better believe it. So we get over and we walk and it's a long way. And believe it or not, it's pretty cold when it's snowing. So we're walking, it's freezing, we get to the place. And the stable, it's not really like a stable. It's more like, I can't even describe it. It just did not look like what I was expecting, okay? It was very run down and all the horses had these big sway in their back. And it was just crazy. But we wanted to ride the horses, so we get there and they're like, they're like, can we, you know, rent a couple of horses? And the guy said, oh, you know what? It's snowing so much, you know, whatever. And we're like, sir, <clears throat> we're cowboys, okay? So uh, I understand it might be a little snowy to the normal horseback riders, but John Wayne, that's kind of what we are on a horse, okay? And we're very convincing. So we're talking to the guy and he's like, he's like, okay, well, we have two options. He goes, he goes, you can, you can rent the horse for two hours. And what you do is you ride up this trail for one hour and then you turn around. I was like, oh. He goes, or we have a four-hour option. I said, well, where's the four-hour trail? He said, you ride up the same trail two hours and then you turn around. I thought, well, how about that? I said, we'll take the four-hour trip and give us the two fastest stallions you've got because we're going to make this trip in, in, in all kind of good time. So we rent the horses. And we're riding up this mountain. We rented the four-hour trip. And we're riding up. And, and the, the, they hadn't been ridden up this trail in a long time. And before you know it, the horses are in like ankle-deep snow. And it's like, oh, man, this is kind of cool. And we're right next to this creek. And then we go a little bit further. And the horses are like knee-deep in snow. And it's like, man, this is like a commercial. We're like real cowboys. Man from Snowy River. Wish I had a whip. I would crack it. Pow! It would just be awesome. And then we keep going, and, and we're like chest deep in the snow. And my brother gets scared. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's not here. I can't pick on him. <laughs> we both decided that we'd probably gone far enough. And it was probably me, if I'm honest, that was getting a little bit nervous. I said, man, I think we need to turn around. So we turned around maybe an hour, maybe an hour and a half into the trip, and we walked the horses back down only to find my parents at the bottom of the mountain where we rented the horses. And they said, what are you doing? I said, we're riding horses. <laughs> we didn't think they were going to rent you those horses. Well, you sent the wrong cowboys to the stable if you didn't think we were coming out of there with horses. Because the thing is, sometimes we develop our own plans and our own strategies. And they don't work out exactly the way we wanted them to work out. Which is why it's so very important. And of course I joke about all of that. But it's so very important to trust God's plan. Because His plan is for good. It's not for evil. His plan is to give you hope. His plan is to prosper you. His plan is not to harm you. And listen to this part. His plan will always come to pass in your life if you will stick to the strategy. 
If you will follow after what he says, you don't have to wonder if it's going to happen. If you'll follow after what he says, you don't have to hope it's going to happen. If you'll follow after what he says, all you have to do is follow after what he says and it will come to pass, even if it's not on the timeline that you so uh, 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 drastically desire, you have to understand that it will come to pass. Isaiah 9 and 6 says this, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The New English translation says this, He will be called Extraordinary Strategist, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God not only has plans for you that are filled with hope, that are not to harm you, but he's an extraordinary strategist. You're sitting in this room because of how good God is. You're sitting in this room because he took all the mess of your life, blended it together, and has strategically put you in an environment where you can experience His presence, be empowered by His Spirit, be encouraged by His Word, and move forward in the things of God. He's an extraordinary strategist. Our plans fail oftentimes. Occasionally, they succeed. And mature Christians have gotten good at not taking credit for the good because if you take credit for the good, the knee-jerk ideology most oftentimes is that you will blame God for the bad. No, His plan for your life, His plan for my life, is simply put that He will prosper you, that He will cause good things to come in your life, that He wants to give you hope that will never end, that he wants to encourage you along the way. That doesn't mean that everything that happens to you is God's hand. If that's the case, you'd have to tear out about half the Bible because about half the Bible is people making bonehead decisions or the enemy of God doing stuff to God's people. Everything that happens to you is not God's plan for your life. But God miraculously takes all those components and for you and for me, the people who love God and are called according to His purpose, He causes everything that we go through to work together for our good. If you bake a cake or you bake some cookies, uh, oftentimes uh, you're going to call for different ingredients. You're going to have sugar. You're going to have flour. You're going to have all these different things. And each individual uh, ingredient might not be wonderful. You say, well, load me up on the sugar. Load me up on the brown sugar. Don't give me the flour. And most assuredly, don't give me the baking powder or the baking soda. But if you put it all together in a bowl and you blend it just right and then you put it in the oven just long enough whenever that thing comes out, not only does it taste good, not only does it satisfy, it causes the whole house to smell good. You see, God has a way of taking every ingredient that you bring to Him, blending it up in your life really nice, putting it in a supernatural oven and when the time is right, it comes out and you're surprised at how good God is at blending things. He's an extraordinary strategist. He's overwhelmingly good. 
He's overwhelmingly strong. He does not fail in any area. He does not lack in any area. He is supernaturally able to do abundantly above more than you and me could ever ask or think. It's His good pleasure to bless us. You know, a lot of times in martial arts... A lot of times in self-defense training, I have a lot of uh, friends that are in law enforcement that teach you different things and how to handle uh, uh, situations. And almost exclusively in those uh, uh, tactics, they will teach you how to use what your opponent is trying to do to you against them. Meaning, uh, for instance, judo is a is a is a is a, a martial art, and what they will do is they will teach you when somebody tries to hit you or somebody tries to kick you, you take their momentum and you don't necessarily try to stop their momentum. You just position yourself where their momentum would be so adverse to them that you come out on top. This is what God does. God knows the playbook. For your life, but he also knows the playbook of the adversary. He also knows the playbook of the devil. He also knows the playbook of your enemy. So every time that the devil is throwing a punch at you, every time he's trying to do something to you, God is trying to raise you up and teach you, listen, I understand the enemy's going to come in like a flood. I understand he's going to try to do it. But if you will lift up a standard against him, when he tries something against you, you just take that thing and you push him right to the ground and put him under your feet where he belongs. There's something about living for God and trusting in His plan and His purpose and knowing that His strategy, listen to me, His strategy will not fail. There was a baby who was born in a barn who was laid in a feed trough that became the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But if you had stopped the story there and said, I don't understand it, I'm not moving forward and decided to develop your own plan, we would be left without a Savior. No, you're going through some things and if I could wiggle my nose and take them away from you, that's exactly what I would do. But you've got to understand, you've got to stick to the strategy, you've got to stick to the plan, you don't grow weary in well-doing, you've got to know that in due season you are going to reap. Something about living for God that changes your philosophy. There's something about living for God that changes your mentality when you know that His plan won't fail, when you know that His plan is for good, when you know that His plan is to give you hope in a future, then all of a sudden you have the ability to trust Him in a greater manner than you ever could have. Your adversary comes to try to destroy you, to try to destroy your family. Your adversary comes to try to tempt you. Your adversary comes to try to do things to you. Your adversary comes to try to instill fear in you. But you have to remember, it is your adversary that will cause your promotion and he doesn't even know it. There was a shepherd boy who would be king. But everybody else was just looking at him as a shepherd boy. But God used a giant to propel David into his destiny. There was a little boy put in a river with his mother trusting God that came out to be raised in a palace only to be exiled and to have a bounty put on his head. But nobody understood that God was going to use an evil heathen Pharaoh to send Moses into his destiny. 
No, you're going to go through some things. There's an important word there. You're going to go through some things. This Christmas, I want you to remember three things. God's plan for you is good. If there's something happening in your life and it doesn't look like it's good, it's either not God or it's not over. When that baby was laid in a feed trough, I like the story. I like to hear about all these things. Laid in a man, away in a manger. What they're saying is an infant in a feed trough. I have goats. I'm not putting my kids now in the feed trough. It's not pleasant. They took the king of kings and they put him in a feed trough in a manger. And if you stop right there, you have to wonder, is God good? Is God good? Because this doesn't look good. And if it's not good, it's either not God or it's not over. It wasn't long after that that God sent the resources to Mary and Joseph that were necessary to propel them into their destiny, raising Jesus. It wasn't too much longer that Jesus would be found teaching in the temple. And then several years later, Jesus' ministry begins with miracles, signs, and wonders, and this whole message of a new kingdom. But no manger? No barn? You and me have a problem if that doesn't exist. God's plan for you is good. Number two, He never fails. Our Bible says love never fails. Our Bible also says God is love. God never fails. When it looks like he has, most oftentimes it's a setup for the greatest victories that we will experience. The only question is, can you stick to the strategy? Can you stick to the plan? You say, what's the plan? Remember who he is. He's a good God. Remember who you are, the righteousness of God in Christ. It wasn't your abilities that got you saved, and it's not your abilities that keep you saved. In your darkest moment, in your most hurting time, you have to hang your hat on the fact that God is good, and He will never, ever, never, never, never fail in your life. Some of you are looking at family members. And it seems impossible. Some of you are looking at friends that are away from God and it seems impossible. Number three, he's an extraordinary strategist. He is the best at putting people in your life at the right season at the right moment, at the right time. If He will do it for you, He will certainly do it for the loved one that you're praying for. He's extraordinary at bringing His will 
to pass. Who in the world would have thought, thought that three men from the east, we don't know them to be Jewish. Matter of fact, we could almost assume that they're not. That three men from the east would come and recognize the king of the Jews. Who in the world would have thought that three men from the east that would have had to have been dispatched months in advance would bring the resources necessary to the young family that would get them on their way, along the path, and everything that they needed to complete that portion of their plan. Who would have ever thought? i tell you who. Somebody who's capable of developing an extraordinary strategy. If you go through this life and you see all kind of things happening to you, happening around you, and you can't classify them as good, all you can do is trust the coach. I remember playing sports and sometimes the coach would ask things. Uh, I played quarterback and, and the coach would, would call a play and I would think, man, this play's not going to work. I don't want to call this play. But see, the coach could see things that I couldn't see. I was standing there. I had people all around me. I had to squat down, get the ball, then run back. I had stuff happening all around me and I couldn't see every, I couldn't see the whole field. But the coach, he coaches from a distance. He's sitting back and he's got the playbook and the difference between our coach uh, in heaven and, and like, a, like a football coach now, he doesn't just have our playbook, he's got the enemy's playbook too. So he's comparing them both and he's going, okay Brian, they're going to try this, we're going to do this. Now me, I'm just looking at it where I can look at it and if I don't trust his plan, if I decide to develop my own plan, listen to this. If you decide to develop your own plan, you will be responsible for the results. But if you will trust the coach, the extraordinary strategist, if you will trust the Prince of Peace, if you will trust the Great I Am, in that moment, the government, the responsibility falls where it should. The government, the responsibility is now on His shoulder. You can't bear it. If you could, you already would. But so many times, we forget. We, we, we want to lean on our own understanding. When He really only asks us to seek Him first, and He'll add all of your desires unto you. Stand to your feet, please. I'm done teaching.